Revelation 17, verse 14. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see your world and soften our hearts to hear your voice. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, and to make us your people. For the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your holy name, we pray. Amen. So the year 2020 has been a really long and painful and divisive election year, hasn't it? I mean, from all sides, it's been pretty ugly for many, many months. And I need to confess that in what seems like about every other discussion lately, I have found myself somewhat unfairly dividing people into one of two categories and and kind of irresponsibly demonizing the side I disagree with. And the people to whom I'm referring, of course, are the millions of corrupt people who like these white chocolate peanut butter cups. I mean, have you seen these things? They are a total abomination. They just, they taste not good. I don't understand how anybody could possibly like them. And you know, it's, it's just really disappointing to see some of my own friends turn aside from the original milk chocolate for this silly fake chocolate. I mean, it entirely uproots the original formula on which this brand was built. It's supposed to be peanut butter and milk chocolate, not peanut butter and fake chocolate with white food dye and who knows what else they let in. I think... They're actually sneaking in that gross yogurt stuff that isn't really chocolate. So, can you blame me for campaigning against this abomination? At least it's usually only seasonal or in pretty limited supply. Now, before we jump into the scriptures, I want to ask you a question. A serious question. When you divide the world, meaning when you divide the world into its constituent categories of who is right and who is wrong, do you see the world primarily through political, national, sociocultural, or physical categories? When you think about the world and you divide it into these categories of right and wrong, are you doing so primarily through political, national, sociocultural or physical categories? If your, if your hope and your emotions are tied into these types of boundaries and categories and definitions of, of power and might and right and wrong, then the answer to this question is yes. At some level, at least to some extent. If your hope and your emotions, if you're, if you're finding yourself too tied into these worldly categories and definitions of power and morality, then, then you, like me during this year, you need a reset of your understanding of reality, a recentering of your worldview at the truth level. 
You see, when you consider what Jesus tells us about who he really is, it's clear that the biblical categories of true power and might and right and wrong have little in common with our worldly and man-made definitions. Look at John 18 with me, if you would, starting at verse 33. It says this, So Pilate, who was the Roman governor of that entire region, he was basically second in command to the emperor. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. This is right toward the end of Jesus' life as he's on trial, headed toward the cross. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, the Jews had already tried Jesus. They'd already had Jesus on trial, and they found him guilty. But under Roman law, they couldn't kill him. So they brought him to Pilate to have, to have him finish the job. So in verse 33, when Pilate asked, are you king of the Jews? Asked Jesus, it signaled that Pilate had agreed to formally put Jesus on trial. We know this because earlier in verse 29, when he asked the Jews, what accusation do you bring against this man? When Pilate asked the Jews that question, what ac accusation do you bring against this man? It was to establish the charges against Jesus. And that was the first step in Roman legal procedure. So Jesus here is officially on trial. And Pilate, the Roman governor, asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And notice Jesus' interesting answer. Jesus answered, verse 34, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you? about me. Asking Pilate, after he says, are you king of the Jews? Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? At first, this seems like a bit of an evasive answer, like Jesus is trying to be obscure here, but he's actually forcing Pilate to answer his own question about whether he was king of the Jews by thinking about the nature of the kingdom he had come to establish. Was Jesus being charged with setting up a worldly kingdom that opposed Rome? Or was he setting up a kingdom according to the Jews? Now, Jesus's question, in effect, it was, what kind of kingdom do you think I'm coming to establish, Pilate? I mean, if you think I'm here to establish a worldly kingdom in opposition to you and Caesar, eh, then the answer is no. If you think I'm here to establish a kingdom from a, a Jewish perspective, well then, yes, absolutely. Guilty as charged. So he's turning the question back on Pilate and saying, what do you think? Pilate doesn't bite. Look at verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. So what have you done? So Pilate's obviously a little annoyed here. He says, am I a Jew? The answer was obviously no. He was quickly dissociating himself from what he knows was going on between Jesus and the Jews. I don't want to get caught up in your religious matters, and I don't really care what kind of kingdom you think you're trying to set up, so long as it's not a threat to me or Rome. But so that I can go ahead and deal with this and move on, Jesus, 
What did you do that your own people are so angry with you that they want to kill you, that they bring you to me? Now, this time, Jesus doesn't quite bite. Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, that little word of there, in my kingdom is not of this world, is a preposition that means, well, of, or from, or from out of, as in born from. So Jesus is saying that his kingdom is not from, and it does not consist of the things of this world and this world's kingdoms. He's saying, my kingdom is altogether a different category that entirely eclipses what you know as power, Pilate. So, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, if my kingdom were from and, and made up of the stuff of this world's kingdoms and operated by the same principles as the kingdoms of this world, then my servants would have been fighting. Like yours do, Pilate. They would be fighting like yours do, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. That's not how it works with my kingdom, Jesus says. So verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Now there's a feature in the original Greek that isn't obvious in the English. Pilate says this as an emphatic question that expects an affirmative answer. So this isn't really as much a question as it seems. Notice Pilate isn't asking, so are you a king? But he is asking slash saying, so you are a king. Keep reading. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king? Well, this sounds a little weird to us. It's just a way to say like, you said it, bro. For this purpose, I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world, meaning I've come into this world from another world. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world, he says, to bear witness to the truth, to bear witness to the truth that I am a king. And then Jesus says something so interesting, because even, even in that moment, when he is on trial, he wanted Pilate to see who he really was. He says, everyone who is of the truth, who's of, from, born of the truth, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, are you listening to the truth? Do you see it? Are you hearing my voice? Are you going to likewise bear witness to this truth, Pilate? But of course, Pilate blows it off. Pilate said to him, what is truth? End scene. <laughs> truth. Truth is when Jesus says his kingdom of is not of this world. Truth is him really saying that it's not merely just some silly and wimpy spiritual only fake world that holds no real power. What Jesus is saying here is that it's of God 
and it's from heaven in a way that is greater and more fundamental and more true than any of the fake earthly kingdoms that feel real, but that are powerless and that only offer death. He's saying that his kingdom, because it's from God and it's not of this world, it's not the way Pilate or, or Roman kingdoms work. He's saying that because it's from God and not of this world, it has an even greater claim over Pilate, over the Jews, over his people, over all of us than all the earthly powers that we know so well. That's why Jesus said, don't fear, their, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. Friends, only the kingdom of God, where Christ is king, is true. And you enter this kingdom by being born again, John 3, 5. By repenting and turning from sin to God, Matthew 3, 2. And you only enter this kingdom because of the divine call of God, 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. This is a kingdom we must seek First, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, that we must pray for its arrival. Also, Matthew 6. This is a kingdom that doesn't consist in the eating and drinking and the physical things of this world. But, Romans 14, it consists of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus returns to earth, he will claim it all for himself. And the full display of his power will be seen by all friends. In this season of what feels like the endless battle between earthly kingdoms vying for power, if you are finding your hope and your emotions in this world's political, national, sociocultural, or physical categories, defining truth from those flimsy foundation foundations, perhaps it's because you're listening and thinking and speaking according to the world's categories. Let me ask that question again. If you find yourself emotionally tied into those worldly kingdoms vying for power, vying for power in the political, national, social, cultural, physical categories that are defined from such flimsy foundations, perhaps it's because you're listening and you're thinking and you're speaking according to the world's categories. Three quick application points and a question to help us recenter around Christ as King. First is this. Bearing witness to Christ as King means listening to his voice and not the kingdoms of this world. In John 10, Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice and that he calls them by name and leads them. And that when this happens, verse 16, John 10, there will be one flock where he is shepherd. Friends, people who truly belong to God, they listen to and they believe the words of Jesus because he's their shepherd. What Pilate didn't realize was that Jesus was in that moment inviting him to listen to his voice and to follow that truth because that is how you learn to see the kingdom of God, by 
listening. Friends, the evil one is always seeking, John 10, 10, to steal and kill and destroy. But those whose lives bear witness to Christ as king over all, they listen for the voice of their shepherd. They listen for truth and goodness and beauty in the world that display the truth and goodness and beauty of the shepherd. Friends, you have to learn to listen if you're going to bear witness to Christ as king. Second thing is that bearing witness to Christ as king means increasingly submitting our thinking to him as the authoritative ground and guide for all truth. When Jesus says he is king, he means it with a forcefulness and a depth that we miss because we easily give ourselves to this world's categories of meaning and purpose. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, and 5 are important verses for a Christian to know. They say, for though we walk in the flesh, in the body, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now listen to this, verse 5. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. Friends, we must submit our thinking to the truth of Christ as king. We must take every thought captive, wrestle it down, do the hard work of mentally submitting your thinking to obey Christ as Lord. If something is true, it's because God made it true. You need, I need, as Christians who believe that Christ is king, we need to recenter our understandings of reality at a fundamental level around the truth that Jesus is king of all that is true. If something is true, it's not because Galileo or Copernicus or anybody else said something that made it true. If something is true, it's because God made it so as creator of all, and he's king and he's sovereign over his creation. Everyone else is simply uncovering what is already there as true because God made it so. So practice shaping one's mind around the truth that it's all true because God made it true. Thirdly, bearing witness to the truth of Christ the King means more than silent modeling and often requires actually speaking. I've always been intrigued at how Romans chapter 10 speaks of salvation as something that is both spoken and heard and not merely believed. It says in Romans 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, the gospel and salvation are not just a heart belief only thing. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10 also says in verse 14, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You can't hear what isn't spoken. There's both uh, what isn't spoken. There's both speaking and hearing. That's why Paul concludes his thought here in verse 17 of Romans chapter 10 by saying, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. While the word of Christ is certainly lived 
and modeled, don't let that become an excuse to merely bear silent witness. Mark 16, 15, which is one of Mark's versions of the Great Commission, says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I think a lot of Christians think they can bear witness to the truth of Christ as king by merely quietly standing on the sidelines and letting the more extroverted, extroverted loud t- types like me do all the talking. And while it's certainly true that God uses different people in different ways, don't let your own fears turn into excuses for silence that can easily become disengagement. You see, the world's kingdoms are very forcefully engaged in spiritual battle to destroy the minds and hearts of those who call Christ Lord. When we merely silently model in charity without actually opening our mouths to proclaim the truths of who God is in Jesus, we have functionally allowed this world's philosophies to encroach into areas where Christ alone deserves to be proclaimed king. When you think Christian parenting needn't involve actually verbally teaching your children about the Bible and the truths of who God is, and you could let that be something that someone at church does for you, you have functionally allowed them to be discipled by a secular world whose philosophies are never morally neutral, but are actually more insidiously directed at corrupting them. So friends, Ears, mind, and mouth. Listen, think, speak. Stop allowing your, your ears and your mind and your mouth to be, to be defined by truths outside of who God is and what he's done in Jesus. Let's take just a minute and think about this takeaway question. How is God calling you to listen, to think, and to speak differently? so that you will bear witness to Christ as king overall. You know, eventually, Pilate answered his question from John 18.33. That's when, at the beginning of our passage, that's when he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He answered his own question in John 19.19, when it says that Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Friends, even on the cross, as he took on the sin of all who would follow, even when it looked like the world had won, even in that most ironic of moments, where perhaps Pilate made fun of him, we don't know. But Pilate was right, whether he knew it or not. In that moment, Jesus was king. And all that is true is a reflection of his perfect character and nature. So listen accordingly. Think accordingly. And speak accordingly. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you overcame the powers of the world with the perfect and sinless life of Jesus. That he embodied truth. 
and that he was righteousness for us. And that the sin of our lives, the ways we've given our our ears and our minds and our mouths to ideas that are not true, to idols in our lives that are not true, to things that are not true reflections of your character and nature. Father, we're grateful that his righteousness overcame our sin and that his perfect life that was true was sacrificed for us in ways that mean we have a knowledge that you are everything we are not, that you are good when we cannot be, that you are adequate when we've been inadequate, that you are true when we are untrue, when we've given ourselves to lies. So Father, shape us, mold us after who you are in your character and nature so that we would uphold the amazing truth that you are king over all. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.